Hey guys, Jeff here from besttechie.com and this is Techie Bytes episode 9. Today I'm speaking with Jason Wong, the founder of Wong House Ventures. He's a meme expert who got his start by amassing more than 2 million followers on Tumblr. Enjoy. I'm here with Jason Wong, the founder of Wong House Ventures and also what some many believe to be a meme expert. <laughs> So uh, <laughs> welcome, Jason. Thanks for being on the on the podcast. Yes, thank you for having me. I, I'm really excited to have you on because you you've done a number of really interesting things uh, so far in your career. Uh, you started when you were really young, um, as did I. So that's why I really related to that actually. But let's tell <laughs> t- tell people how uh, like how you got your start, who you are, um, you know, and what you're doing. Right. Um, well, my name is Jason Wong, and I'm, uh, I guess, an entrepreneur, but I also mostly focus on doing e-commerce, product development, and making memes. So um, I, I, I guess I'm most well-known for making meme products. Uh, that's what people <laughs> know me as. But I, I think in particular, I am more well-known for, I guess, being the person that do things that people haven't really do or people don't want to do. Uh, not not as like not like like a nasty or like you know the the dirty job type of things, but like I, I I do like unconventional things. The way that I do my business or like the way that I develop my product has been, um, I guess, pretty innovative or people say it is. So I, I think that's what I'm well known <laughs> for. <laughs> so that's what I do. So. So you you you've been you've been doing uh, you know you've been on the internet for a while. You're still young, like myself, um, relatively speaking. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, how how did you get your start online, and 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 where did you get your start? Right. I mean, to be really honest with you, like the when I was online on the internet, I wasn't legally allowed to be online. And, and you know, like when when I websites say like you need to be like <laughs> right when, when, when websites say like you need to be thirteen years of older, I was totally not thirteen years or older. <laughs> right. No, um, I, it's funny you mentioned that because also when uh when I when I was starting out <laughs> online, I was around 12, eleven or twelve probably when I really got involved in different communities. And like you said, they always say you have to be thirteen or older at least. Um, and it, I started helping people on these tech support forums. And and people thought I was this forty year old guy just sitting, you know, in my house just helping people, but I was just this twelve year old kid. So, so I, I, totally, I think we're fair totally get that. We're very similar in that. I was at, I was actually a forum moderator for like um a Chinese forum, like Chinese meme uh like discussion forum. Uh-huh. And I I think I was like twelve year twelve years old at the time. And I guess like once you're like behind a monitor moderator on the internet no one really knows who you are like what your age is so for the longest time i was able to like communicate with adults or like you know do like things that i guess a typical 12 year old wouldn't do um just by being on the internet so i got my start on the internet forums like discussion which i i guess like um was a little bit more interesting because i i particularly wanted to do that to learn you know my language a little bit better. I'm Chinese, so I want to use Chinese sites to learn the language and the culture better. But also, like, it just gains a new perspective on everything. So that's how I, I guess, like, I do a lot of things right now just due to my background and that. Right. Awesome. That's awesome. So but you, essentially, we have very similar type stories where, at least how we got started. Um, <laughs> so so then, so then, from what I understand, you also started selling things online at, at around 15 years old, right? 
Yes. Um, so after the moderator, you know, the whole uh, job quotation job thing, it's um, I started doing social media like on different social media platforms. I started exploring how to make content or how to be like influential. And I guess like right now people call it those influencers, but back in the day, so it's just everyone's doing their own thing, trying to get a lot of followers. Um, the platform that I set a solid footing in is Tumblr, <clears throat> which is a micro-blogging platform for those of you that aren't really familiar with it. Um, the reason I chose that is because I felt like there's a multitude of multimedia creatives that I can use with it, like text, videos, text with video, like a lot of things that at the time, Facebook and Twitter couldn't do that I can do a lot more on Tumblr. And through that, I accumulated over 2 million followers. So wow. by the time by the time I was 15 years old, I had a, a massive audience that I could collaborate with different brands with. I could, you know, get brand deals, promote different content for money. But then I realized that I didn't like doing that because at the end of the day, there's no consistency behind doing stuff like that. Or there's like no, I, I guess I didn't really see a future in doing it. And as a result, I started my own brand selling like t-shirts. Just, I, I think selling t-shirts is the easiest ways to get into business perhaps for most of us with an audience. Um, and that's what I really started in like clothing and then eventually evolving to different things. Mm -hmm. what, kind, what kind of t-shirts were, were, were you selling or do you, do you still sell? <clears throat> oh, um, I don't sell it anymore, but at the time the clothing store name was called Trendico. And what we did was that we saw whatever graphic was popular at the time on Tumblr. So like things that were trending, that things that were viral, like whether it is a popular phrase, like, you know, phrase that people say a lot or like a popular graphic or whatever. Whenever we see like there's a trend or a demand for that kind of digital graphic, we try to turn it into a physical t-shirt or a sweater because we knew that there's a demand for it. So there's a search for it. And that's, you know, what trendy code was. Right. That makes sense. I mean, to be able to capitalize on those types of things, did you run into any issues, I, I would guess, maybe with, with uh, copyright infringement or anything like that? Because I know that's a oh, yeah. common issue. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I think we got like, a DMCA <laughs> takedown at one time. But, you know, honestly, our operation was not that massive compared to, you know, what, what I am right now. So being like, being that size of a business kind of put me under the radar. So I only got detected like once or twice. Uh, which is a good thing. It's like you know, <laughs> yes. for I for mean, the amount of right, exactly for the amount of things that I was doing or like you know, copying. I, I wouldn't say it was copying because I worked directly with the artists to feature the artwork. So we give royalties. Like we, it's not like I just copy graphics off you know the internet. I directly communicate with the artists. But sometimes like turns out those artists are copying another artist. So you get get the boot from the original artist. So you know sometimes right. you run into those things. But the, for the most part, I try to run my business as ethical as possible or you know as you try but you know sometimes just those things happen yep no absolutely i mean it's, uh, it's good that you tried some people don't don't even <laughs> don't even try they just they just try to make them they just try to make as much money as possible as quick as possible before someone decides to take them down or uh go after them uh <laughs> so so i mentioned right. i mentioned at the top uh, uh of the episode um that, you, that you're a meme expert and you and you kind of touched right. on this a little bit so far. I know that you created a book uh, called the Meme Bible, mm -hmm. and um, mm -hmm. and for and and from from what I read, you made you made like two hundred thousand dollars in three weeks selling this book. First of all, tell uh, if you could tell everyone what the book was, like what it was about and what was in it, 
and um, and then ha and how you went about right. you know uh, selling it. Uh, so. Right. Um, so the book essentially it's a collection of the year's most popular memes in the form of your childhood's favorite pastime. So like Mad Libs, Crossword Puzzles, The Maze, Connect the Dots, you know, like everything that you've done as a kid or like in school, we try to transform that type of activity or that exact concept, but in the modern memes or pop things to it. And the reason I do that is because I got the inspiration from like a year book. Mm -hmm. You know, at the year, at the end of each year, you try to like recollect the year's best memories in the form of like, you know, class clown or like, you know, superlatives. Um, I want to do something that I guess cements the year's most popular moments, most iconic moments into, you know, graphics or activities that people can do for fun. And most of my audience are young teenagers to young adults. So I guess it's kind of a way to reminisce towards our childhood you know the things that we do with our you know popular topics that we're facing today and i put that into a book we did about quarter million in three weeks and right now we're doing about a million dollars a year um, so you're, so you're still selling book. you're still selling this yeah. book have, have you guys updated but it it's, or? it's an annual thing so yeah yeah so yeah, every, every year. year we update it. Nice. <laughs> every single so, year, and each year it's it's a lot bigger. Uh, we we take feedback from users every single year to make things better. You know, that's uh, as as we supposed to do. Right. So how do you decide what you know what meme becomes like a crossword puzzle versus what meme is like a coloring thing? Right. Uh, that's actually the most common question. It's like, how do you detect you know who's who? Uh, so for memes that are a little bit more like less substantial as in like oh it's just a phrase or it's just it's just like popular um words but no one really adapted it or like we just want to like give it like an honorary mention we throw those things into a crossword puzzles like a nod um because it's just like a one lander <laughs> it's like yeah like you know it's like you know we acknowledge it a bit but we don't have enough substance to make you into an actual page mm -hmm. um for things that are a lot bigger like you know salt bay or like trash dough or like the spongebob memes that you see everywhere uh for those things it depends on if there's an existing copyright or trademark um, register for it. So let's just use SpongeBob for example. Obviously, we can't use an actual illustration for it, but what we can do is that we can make a connect the dot activity and make only half of SpongeBob. So the user have to connect the rest of the SpongeBob. But because we didn't give the actual illustration, we're technically not using their graphics. So <laughs> That's um, it really depends on like it's several factors. I mean, honestly, it's just you know. If we feel like there's a substantial support or demand for it, we give like an entire page. If there's not, we give like a nod. Mm -hmm. well, I think that makes sense. Um, one of the other things, <laughs> right. <laughs> one of the other things, um, you know, I want to talk about with regard to the meme bible is just when you decided to to create this uh, this book, how, you know, what kind mm -hmm. of strategies went into marketing it and getting it out in front of people uh, to make them aware of it. Right. Um, I think at the time of creating the book, I stand in a very special position as in I was already a social media influencer. So that gave me a lot of insight into like how things operate, what kind of price I should be paid or like what people deem popular or how to make things viral. So um, I was able to market this item as something that um, that everyone has already or everyone wants already just by my you know, my access to networks of millions of impressions every day. So what we did was that we create a lot of scenarios or stories 
through different accounts saying that you know they bought this for their boyfriend or they bought this for their girlfriend they weren't really want this for a christmas present so we create like a bunch of stories to create the illusion that people already purchased it or people received it already but in reality we actually never produced a book yet um by mm -hmm. doing that tactic we're able to gauge the market demand so we know how many people want it how many people want to buy it and based on that, we start ordering the actual inventory. So I was able to start the entire operation with only $400, just because we actually never had to buy any book. We only have to, you know, create it and, um, you know, throw it up for a few hundred bucks and see like how many people want it, just to gauge market demand for it. Right, that's actually really smart. Another thing, one of the things I've seen on some websites is like, they're like, you know, someone from, you know, Brooklyn, New York just bought this item or something like they try and like lure you into wanting to buy it to, you know, create that, that, <coughs> that fear, that fear of missing out, um, you know, surrounding right. the uh, FOMO marketing is actually, uh, so FOMO marketing is actually very effective. It's one of the strongest effective, uh, I guess, strongest marketing method in terms of efficiency, just because I think right now we stand in a society where people are constantly checking on social media. Um, not because you know they actually care about the thing, but they are fear of missing out on what's the newest thing. Um, when 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 we look at like the the things where a website shows up, oh, this person just bought it eight minutes ago, or like thirty four people are visiting the site right now. That's called FOMO marketing, and you know that's one tactic. But what I refer to in my initial marketing strategy is that on social media, in particular, like Twitter and Instagram people are always checking what their friends are doing or like, you know, what other people are purchasing or what people are talking about. So what we did is that we create dozens of accounts and create dozens of creatives, like, you know, having books in their grandmother's hand or like having books in stocking stuffers or like having books in on the table and say like, we just got this today to create the illusion that people received it already or people really want something. So um, by promoting these tweets to hundreds of accounts through our own network, we're able to create this demand like a like a, i guess like a false perception of mm -hmm. demand to create actual demand and we were able to do this with you know several hundred dollars and in turn this generate over a quarter million in three weeks that's awesome that's really smart <laughs> there, there's no other way to put it that it's that's it's it's, it's a really great tactic uh, and for with a great roi on that um so but, but i mean like we're we're able we're only able to do that just because it was a high viral item but also you know to be honest at the time i didn't have a lot of money to go towards marketing so it was, it was like a i guess like in, in football terms it's like a hail mary you know the last <laughs> desperate move yeah uh, but but that that was what helped mary for me like you know that was my last 400 dollars, and that was the last resort i had to take before you know either you know pack up your bags and go home or you know throw it all in so that was literally all the money i had and Bible. Right. No, that, that's a, that's great. I mean, that's a great story. I'm glad. I'm glad it worked out for you. <laughs> um, and, and obviously, you had a really great, uh, you know, strategy behind uh, behind what you were doing, and, and an already great audience uh, following you. Speaking of audience, though, um, so you know, you're an influencer yourself, as you mentioned. You know, you've been an influencer before the word influencer was really a word. Um, <laughs> What, you know, where, where influencers or where should they be spending their time right now uh, if they wanted to get the, the most kind of uh, influence, most biggest following, um, and, and, and then I guess in return make the most money from it? 
I think the influencer right now should focus their time. Actually, the same tactic has been used in the past five, six years. It's just what really helped us grow more as an influencer is collectively creating community. Um, influencers by themselves cannot possibly thrive just because the algorithm is working against them, the, the climate of each social media platform is working against them. So it's, it, it, it makes it almost impossible. I mean, like not really impossible, but very rare for someone to become an influencer without being, I guess, associated with another existing influencer. Um, right. That's like a, it's like a network. It's like, you, know, you, you, you often, you often see like offshoots is. of people like, like you're talking about, basically you often see like someone who was like a, a big, um, you know, a personality in, in one for one influencers community then breaks out onto their own and like does, and then people follow them and they kind of build from there. Yeah. So like, you know, let, let's just like imagine yourself as someone that's starting out with 10,000 followers. With just 10,000 followers, you'll get maybe five, actually, no, eight to 10% engagement. So you get about a thousand likes per picture. But beyond that, you don't really get any extra exposure. And with a thousand likes, it's pretty, it's pretty unlikely that you'll be on the explore page um, mm-hmm. just because the algorithm works strictly against you. But if you have other influencer friends, you're able to get exposure through their audience and their audience possibly can push your your content towards their audience. So having a community of influencer is the most important thing. And that holds true since MySpace days. Like, you know, back in MySpace days when artists used to promote other artists or back in YouTube days when other YouTubers would like make videos or collaborations together just because working together isn't really competitive for them because a larger community means they get more exposure. Right. And I have to stop you for just one second because you said something that really kind of, kind of made me laugh. Um, but maybe it's true. I'd love to talk to you about it. So you said back in the YouTube days. So you, so you're saying YouTube is not Uh really a great place to be in terms of influencers anymore or, or like where, if I, if I was on YouTube, I'm sorry. It's just tough. YouTube, like, you know, if you look at YouTube right now, a lot of the channels are influencers or, you know, they call the YouTubers, but it's hard to drive on to YouTube if you don't have existing links to it. Uh, let's just use examples. I think that's the best case study. If you look at, you know, existing bloggers like Logan Paul or Jake Paul, their friends are able to thrive because they are in the same vlogging group, like, you know, Team 10 or like Logan. Mm-hmm you know, like communities within the blogger or the YouTuber community. But if you're just a single person trying to, let's say, start a food channel or like a travel blog, it's very hard for you to thrive in that platform. And actually, you know, most platform nowadays without having existing links to it. Right. No, I, I so I, I agree with you 100% on that. Uh, where is there a magic number in terms of going back to Instagram for a second? Is there a magic number that 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 it takes in terms of likes to, to kind of show up on the explore page? Um, in terms of explore page, it's really about um, changing, I mean, getting enough people to like certain pictures at the right time, uh, usually within 30 minutes to create an illusion of demand. Um, and then the algorithm will automatically favors that picture or like that favors that post and push it into explore page page because they see oh 10 people with a hundred thousand followers like that already it means that this picture is legitimate um the reason this algorithm works this way is to compact spam so 
if they believe that you know 10 legitimate influential people are liking your page within the same amount of time it it kind of indicates that your post is in a spam so they kind of push it to an explore page mm-hmm. but nowadays the explore page is also different because back in the days the explore page means that it's worldwide but nowadays explore page is based on your geographic location but also through your previous likes or what you previously um you know engaged with so you know like things are changing constantly so um but in, in the in the meantime, what I've known so far is that you need to have other influential people to like yourself to build an explore page. Right. No, I think I, I think that's I think that's true. Um, you know, you often see you often see you know uh, accounts that 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 are that are highly popular because, like you said, they're part of communities or you know they post like um, content that that's I found to be really relatable uh, to probably a lot of people. Tends to be what works. What works best uh, on, on you know, Instagram. You see a lot of like content that's, you know, like you know, inspirational um, in some nature. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah but, definitely. Which, yeah, which brings me to kind of what you know the next kind of question I have in terms of you know, where where should marketers who are looking to to, to to, to, to reach millennial, the millennial generation and Gen Z, um, where should they really, should they be spending their time on Snapchat or should they be, should they be spending their time on Instagram? Um, where, where would they get the most kind of bang for their buck? It's, you know, that's the million dollar question. Like every single firm is asking consultants, where do we reach this Gen Z and millennial? Uh, audience, which which is great, it's good because they recognize that millennials and Gen Z people are the next spending group that they should focus on, which is great. Um, I think that question really boils on to like what your brand is and what you're trying to achieve. Um, different platforms obviously have different methods of digesting content. Twitter and Snapchat, Facebook, Forum, Facebook, and YouTube a lot more you know content and more in depth. So for people that like to, I guess like if you're trying to figure out content marketing in a more deeper level obviously you want to focus on snapchat i mean on on twitter and on um facebook because those those medias allows you to target larger form content and people that generally like to read more or like get deeper into a certain topic where snapchat and twitter is more short form digested content mm-hmm. um i i i think in the past what i've seen so far is youtube has been a very good platform but they use like Instagram stories or like Instagram videos and Snapchat videos to supplement it with short form videos to lure into the longer form video. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I don't think there's a blanket answer. It really depends on who you're trying to target and what you're trying to achieve. Right. So if, if, if I were to say, Jason, which is what I'm about to say, Jason, um, what, are some, <laughs> what, are, what are some of the brands that are that are doing a really good job in terms of executing on creating this type of um, social, uh, you know, content. You know, the the ones that I've noticed so far have been restaurants. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> uh, I, I I think namely, you probably heard a lot about Wendy's, mm-hmm. Wendy's Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, or Denny's, <laughs> Denny's doing great. Like, yeah. they're, they're just killing it on social media for some reason. But the, that's the thing, though. When when they like post contents, they're not posting, "Hey, come to a restaurant and eat because it's great." They post jokes and like content that are very relatable and engaging with their 
current target audience, which appears to be millennials and Gen Z. Uh, and basically, they tweet like a teen, or right. you know, they post right. like a teen. And by speaking the right language and like acting in an appropriate manner, they're able to infiltrate themselves into a community. Like honestly, I found myself retweeting tweets from Wendy's when I don't even like eating fast food. I don't even like eating at Wendy's, but I just like to engage with their community. But right. it doesn't matter if I don't like to eat Wendy's or I don't like to eat it. Maybe my followers do, but they achieve they achieve the objective of reaching my audience just by me re- retweeting it. <laughs> so I, I think like the brands that have done the best so far are the ones that are able to understand the audience by understanding the language, the manner, and like the way that they approach different situations. Like how to reply to a certain person. And when teams see that, it, it can either go two ways. They're like, okay, uh, that's disgusting. They're trying to talk like us. They're trying to like, you know, you know like that, um, like the old man trying to infiltrate into like the teenage high school community, like, you know, <laughs> hey, hey, what's up kids? Yeah. Uh, so they're, that, that's one result. But then like the other one's like, they're like, hey, this person actually understands what we're thinking. They're not just a, like a corporate shield trying to like, speak to us but they actually understand who we are and what we're trying to you know talk about or like what we're thinking um so it's, it's it's a risky thing like some companies try to do it and they just completely fail um <laughs> so it's, it's tough right well i you mentioned wendy's and actually one of the things i was just thinking of i saw them like rap battling on twitter with someone a while back and they're like yo sit down be humble <laughs> and they're like and they had this whole rap yeah. that they uh they spit out uh, in a tweet, and it was, I, I was so I was so like entertained just reading those tweets. <laughs> it's crazy. So yeah, I, I think the brands that do so well right now, yeah, the brands that do the best right now are the entertaining ones. Like they instead of focusing on the primary objective that most companies have of like conversion or like getting sales or getting foot traffic to the door. They're focusing on building a brand image. You know, they want to entertain their audience and build themselves as the center of this is a corporation, but we're actually not a corporation. We're your friend. Um, mm-hmm. So that's the image that they're trying to build. And by doing so, they're actually try- they're actually able to like bypass everyone's you know mentality that they're a corporation. They shouldn't listen to them and be like, oh, this is actually a friend. We should consume the content and actually engage with their content. And Brands that do the best at entertaining their audience are the ones that direct the best, in my opinion. Right. Yeah. I mean, speaking of also food-related, you know, you had Oreo um, and during the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. You know, you can still dunk in the dark. I mean, things like that. You know, and that was you know was a quick kind of turnaround that they had, um, but it was but it was it was clever and it worked. Uh, got a lot of attention uh, just from that one tweet. Um, yeah, so, I, I, I yeah. think like someone else, like someone else uh, did that during um, what's it called the convention in Las Vegas. Like the lights went out at um, oh, it's CES, the recent convention. Yeah, CES. I was there. I, I should know, <laughs> but like I, I forgot which brand created it out immediately. It was like you know, or we are we will always be here for you. Or like our our lights will always shine for you. Something like that. And it's just like right. brands that react to situations that have such a huge uproar or like huge discussion online are the ones that are really on top of their brand like they're on top of what's going on right now and that's why they thrive mm-hmm. no absolutely jumping back a little bit right now to uh building audiences online um cl- you know clearly you have you have a lot of experience with that 
um, and you and you and you were you were able to build a very large following uh, on Tumblr and elsewhere. Um, what what are some of your most important tips or strategies um, that you could provide in terms of you know for someone looking to try and build an audience right now? I think in terms of building an audience, one of the things that I've seen so far it's understanding your branding. Um, when when people talk about building audience, they're like, oh, do market research or like uh, survey this person and like you know target this person. I think that's you know the traditional way. Uh, w once you build a credible and reputable brand, people come to you naturally, and I've seen that happen so many times in the past. Um, I'm talking about like having a consistent message or like having a consistent um, image. Um, so image message and like having a consistent focus on what you're trying to push or the message that you're trying to convey. And once that happens, people just recognize you as that person. So whenever that discussion or that topic comes up, they're like, hey, this is a person that I follow that um, pushes out this type of message or they think uh, this is helpful. You should follow this person. So in the past, I've seen my friends killing themselves trying to build an audience by studying it or like making better content, which is great. Like there's nothing wrong with making bad content or good content, but they completely lost their own brand image by trying to be everywhere. Um, so what I mean is that they're trying to be like, oh, I'm, I'm this person today because I want to adapt to my audience. I'm this person tomorrow because I want to convey a message. But people that stay true to what the original were or like what their brand is, are the ones that attract the most loyal and engaged audience from my experience. Mm. I actually think that's really good advice um, because oftentimes, you know, you, it, you have to be who you are, you have to, or, you know, you, and you have to be consistent about it, like you said, because if you kind of, you know, try and, you know, be wishy-washy on it and like try new, try a new kind of, try to be someone you're not because you see someone else who has that style or that strategy um, being, you know, having some success, people are going to be like, well, I, I like you because of who you are. And like, you know, not because, you know, you're, you're trying to be somebody else, you know? Um, so I do think that that's key. I also think that sometimes people can spread themselves a little too thin um, when it comes to, you know, building an audience and trying to create content for them. Uh, you know, you oftentimes uh, you see uh, you try and be everywhere for everyone when, you know, really you should be focusing on maybe one or two, three, maybe huge, you know, platforms. Um, but really, you need to master, you know, the, the main platform that you have, if you will, um, before you should kind of branch out to other places. Right. And, um, you know, just to add on to that, like one of the examples that I think it's fantastic right now. It's one of my good friends named Goldie. Um, so she, she just wants to be like someone that's influential on a particular platform because she wants to spread a positive message. And her branding, she's a, hair, she's a girl with the green hair, but her main focus is she's interviewing people and she's giving daily video vlogs of like studying and analyzing each brand of like, you know, their marketing strategy. So that's her branding, like the person that analyzes marketing strategies and branding of each company. And that's line branding. By consistently building videos, content, and like picture content for that every single day, she was able to amass like tens of thousands of followers in you know different platforms over the past three months. And 
that's only because she was consistent with her brand image and you know having a physical appearance that's recognizable. But most importantly, she's consistently doing one thing and one thing only, and that's why people recognize it. So when people are like, "Who's that one person that does this thing?" People immediately refers her as the go-to person to do it. So this goes mm-hmm. back to like spreading us those two things. Try to like try to be like the pioneer or the expert on this thing. People that try to do like too many things at once, they become nothing just because they're trying to be too many things and they're not fully committed to do one thing. And right. I guess like for me, that's one of the flaws I have is that I try to do too many things, but uh, you know, I, I guess I'm very self-aware, so I try not <laughs> to. But everyone has flaws. Everyone tries to like um, do many things to accomplish more things. And in their mind, they're like, if I start more projects, it means that I am the owner or founder of more projects. Whereas the reality is that, you know, you should focus on perfecting one thing rather than trying to do like, you know, halfway of 10 things. Right. 100%, 100% agree with you on that. So speaking of other projects, um, last summer, uh, you decided to take a picture with every plastic ice cream cone that you came across. Uh, what what mm-hmm. was the reasoning behind that? Was it, was it, I know you love ice cream, but was it most, was it like a, a fun thing you wanted to do? Or were you trying to create like a, a meme uh, of yourself, essentially? <laughs> it was kind of like a mixture of both. So um, the the reason I went on that trip to Japan was to spend more time with my dad, who I haven't seen in years. So, you know, at first it was kind of like a fatherly son bonding experience to go on a, a vacation to Japan but then I realized that there's like a lot of ice cream cones in Japan and like you know if you're familiar with like, Japanese culture they're very um, they're very particular about cute stuff like you know cute anime characters or like cute cartoon or cute objects um, so they have a they have ice cream fixture like ice cream cones outside of every single ice cream shop and ice cream is huge in Japan so I, I saw maybe 50, 60 of them in the oh, past, geez. you know, the last three days. I was in, no, I'm serious. It's, it's more po- popular and common than Starbucks in America, which, you know, says a lot already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so absolutely. seeing that, I was like, you know, I it's, it's a fun thing to, like, you know, do things with your dad. People go play baseball, people do sports. But I was like, what if I do, like, a scavenger hunt with my dad on ice cream and record every single one of them? just because you know it's a fun thing to do and like like i said initially i'm the type of person to like try new things or like do things that people don't usually do um not not because it's weird it's just like no one else wants to do like who wants to take pictures of ice cream right (laughs) so (laughs) i i did that i know i realized that it was a fun thing to do and i was like you know i'll just do it um so i took a picture of it and i posted on twitter um that thing went viral instantly just you know and not like instantly but like over the past few days it's just accumulated a lot of likes and it just spread and eventually it got featured on like twitter moments when trending worldwide cbs uh fortune magazine started interviewing me um yeah it's just it was crazy it just went crazy but actually <laughs> you know beneath beneath all of that i actually want to test out like if i can make myself go viral because yeah. You know, people are always like, you know, you can say that you can make things go viral or you can work with clients to make things go viral, but can you really make yourself go viral? <laughs> and that's like right. a tough thing. Like, the, the thing about viral things is that it's very hard to man-make a viral thing. It's um, unless you're like a, 
you know, six-figure marketing agency that can create campaigns like Super Bowl ads, it's hard for you to make a viral, something viral just because the, the nature of, of viral content is that it is unintentional. It's just, it's sparked in, like, you know, out of nowhere. Um, so it was interesting for me to see, like, yeah, so it was interesting for me to see, like, through my experience of creating content and understanding the audience, can I make myself go viral through different tactics? Like, the way that I phrase different things, the stories I narrate, the angle that I pitch it through my tweets, um, the tweet format, like, you know, making Twitter threads, like replying to sing each single tweet and creating a thread, which is very popular at the time. Like, can I do all those things and even a little bit more to make, to increase the chance of it going viral? Because you can't really just force something to go viral, but you can increase the chance of it. And that's what I did. And I, I would say it was like 50% luck, 50% like, you know, efforts. <laughs> nice. So before we get to the lightning round, I have one last question for you. This one's a real doozy. Um, what's your current favorite meme? Um, you know, like the past few years, ever since 2012, there has consistently been a SpongeBob meme. And um, no, seriously, uh, I, I don't. I I think part of the reason why is because people that are on social media today grew up watching spongebob so there's a certain level of like you know um i guess childhood oh, memories associated yeah, yeah. With, with with that content but like you know everyone understands that there's it's hardly anyone that can tell you that they don't know what spongebob is so it's a highly recognized recognizable meme and it's just consistently every single year without a fail since 2012 there has been a spongebob meme um starting off like you know um the Squidward dabbing meme, the mm -hmm. mocking SpongeBob, the Cageman SpongeBob, um, recently the Patrick meme, the Mr. Crab like running in panic style meme. So every single year there has been one, and I just find it fascinating because as someone that you know, I wouldn't call myself a meme expert, but I do study internet trends a lot. <laughs> right. To see like it, it's it's a weird title, but like to see that type of pattern and consistency of one single topic or like one single cartoon getting viral every single year, I just find it fascinating. And like for me, I, I, I think that's my favorite meme so far, the Patrick meme today. Nice. So now we're gonna head over to the lightning round. We're gonna finish up this, this uh, conversation. It's been great having you on. So whenever you're ready, you let me know and uh, we'll get off with the lightning round. I don't know what the lightning round is, but you know, oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was my fault. I normally explain it to people before I actually say that. So the lightning round is where I read you a, a list of this or that type uh, questions, and you basically just have to pick whichever one you like better. Okay, that's not too bad, unless you give me like really, really hard questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let's get let's right. get after, let's get let's get to it. Let's see let's see uh, let's see if you can do it. All right. All, right, here we, all right, here we go. Reddit or Tumblr? Uh-huh. Reddit. Okay. Giphy or Giphy Cat? Uh, Giphy. Okay. YouTube or Snapchat? Snapchat or what? YouTube or Snapchat? Um, YouTube. Okay, this one's going to be hard. Ice cream or pizza? Ice cream. <laughs> no brainer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Success Kid or Good Guy Greg in, um, in terms good of Good Guy memes. Greg. Really? All right. Awesome. Good Guy well, Greg. Awesome. Oh, always. 
<laughs> well, Jason, it was great having you on. If, if people want to find you online, where's the best place for them to, uh, to get in, in contact with you? Uh, my website, jasonwonk.co.co, um, has all my contact information. And um, I would love to talk to anyone that has any questions. I'll, I'll be happy to you know, answer questions, help you with your business. Just, you know, like for me, I, I feel like I'm in a position to um, speak on a lot of topic and issues and give advice and I love to help as much as I can. Um, so people that are curious or like how to get into the industry or like people that need help starting a business, um, I would love to help if I can. I'm not an expert by all means, but you know, I, I think I can do a lot. <laughs> no, absolutely. I think so too. Awesome. It was great having you on. Jason's currently, by the way, in Venice at an Airbnb, which why, which is why it may be a little bit noisy at points during the podcast, but it was great having you on, Jason. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Techie Bites. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations about technology and business. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting the podcast at anchor.fm slash besttechie and or by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you. And remember, remember, take care of your computers.